Hi, I'm Danny Gavigan, member of the resident acting company at Everyman Theater and the creator and host of the podcast you're about to listen to, Everyman Theater's Resident Ghost Company. This podcast was made possible through the generosity of the Galanthus Foundation and listeners like you. Please consider making a donation to support more work like this by texting GHOST, that's G-H-O-S-T, to 44321, or by visiting everymantheater.org. I rehearse in Every Man Alone a lot, and sometimes you feel things. This is Yegel Welch, member of the Resident Acting Company. Well, you hear things. I mean, the building is big and that space can be cavernous in the rehearsal room. But yeah, I don't know. Like, it just feels cold or it feels like you're being watched sometimes. Um, but who are you going to tell that to until Danny Gavigan calls you and asks you? <laughs> <laughs> When we talk about the West Side, you know, one of the jewels in the crown is everything. The old buildings are never there is Maybe there is something there. And I know what I saw. There's a ghost in this building. This is a podcast about a haunted house and its theater company with as many members as it has ghost stories. I'm Danny Gavigan, and this is Everyman Theater's resident ghost company. Yegel makes a really good point. Ghosts aren't something that typically come up in any serious conversation. But in putting this podcast together, I realized that ghosts can lead to some bigger discussions around family, trauma, what it means to be an artist, scientific theories and spiritual discussions, time and space, the afterlife, as well as the history of regions and historic spaces. Did you have any ghost encounters like we all did in the new space? Former company member Clinton Brandhagen. No. Do you see anything? I wanted to. I wanted to. Believe me, Danny, I walk around going, I'm right here. Come on, come on. Yeah. But I think it's up to them. Resident acting company member Helen Hedman. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're not they're not gonna show themselves if you're looking, right? No, yeah. but I know that I am I am open. You have to, you know, go into it being really, really open. I know we've yeah. had actors who run through the scene shop because they're nervous about a ghost coming to get them at the, you know, in the end of the evening when we go out to the parking garage. Um, I still do that. I still do that. Really? With good reason. To get to the parking garage to the stage door, you have to walk through the shop at the back of the theater. And you always get the sense that there's someone else there. Here's company members Deborah Hazlett and Beth Hilton talking about the time they both saw something. I was leaving. I was exiting through the shop as we do to go out the stage door. We're leaving and I'm walking past the prop kitchen and I see someone appear in all blacks and then immediately go away. And then I walked by and Deborah was right behind me. And I just breezed by the props kitchen. The door was open. And as she walked by the door, she's like, good night, JR. And I kept going and he didn't say anything. And I remember thinking at the time, oh, well, he's doing dishes and that's yeah, fine, whatever. And then the next night or a couple nights later, I walked by again and I said, JR, good night. And I, I thought, 
wonder why he's not responding. And I just stopped before I even went through the door to the hall. She gets past the door and she goes, oh my God, what's, and she got, you know, she kind of whispers kind of urgently. And I go back and she goes, was that Janice or was that JR? And JR was our deck chief, you know, and JR is a tall, burly guy, right? And Janice is a petite young woman. So she's like, which one was it? And I was like, nobody's in there, Deborah. And we're not even through the double doors, right? So the prop kitchen's right there. Nobody's in, a full voice. It was like, nobody's in there. She's like, shh. I was like, nobody is in there, Deborah. And she goes, I just passed it. There's some, I was like, nobody's in that prop kitchen. And she's like, no. And I was like, go look. And stepped back and looked in the props kitchen. And there was nobody there. And her face drains of color. And she looks at me and she's like, there's nobody in that kitchen. I was like, I know. I told you. That's the poultry guys. There was a bright orange light that went past Beth Hilton at one point that she thought was another actor, but was really just bright orange light. Resident actor Bruce Randolph Nelson. I have what show is that? It was August Osage. Mm. Uh, that she v- mentioned Blythe Spirit with you, something happening, and Death Trap. Do you remember these? Yeah, that was all Bill Jamison pushing buttons to make those things happen in the final act. And Death was thinking that that was all ghosts, and it was, it was all mechanical. She saw all the machinery and him backstage doing this on the button. She's like, no, 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 that couch moving is a ghost. And I'm like, Beth, it's not. Vivian Shubb, our dear departed Vivian Shubb, was one of the original company members. She died at 98. I'm told that her ghost visits the booth at some time. Um, I heard that her ghost was visiting the old space. When Vivian was still alive, she was a ghost inhabiting the place. So that's where some beliefs go. It's like, but Vivian sitting right here next to me in this scene how can her ghost be i don't know but i saw her okay okay (laughs) (laughs) she's literally pouring coffee right now oh yeah no that's her ghost no that's really vivian (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't think bruce is ever gonna come around to the idea of ghosts but here's our audio engineer andrew galen the closing night of uh low sotras judy mcclain We are running down the road, we are all running. Brown and white arms embrace each other. Me and Paco too, just the same as everybody. Los Otros. I was striking all the band stuff behind, um, it was off stage right. And they had those panels that were kind of, had cutouts in them. So you could see through them a little bit, but they were, they were, kind of solid, but they were closed. I'm striking all the band stuff. It was, it was actually JR and I that were back there striking it. Nobody else in the theater. And we knew that nobody else was there. All of a sudden we heard all like, kind of down a line, the, uh, the seat cushions, if you would, pull the seat down and then let it go and it would slam back and go heard that as if somebody was walking back and forth the theater pulling down all the seats and letting them go like clear as day you heard that oh yeah we heard it like it was like a, a couple minutes worth of that happening it was it was a long time and it was it was crazy but there's nobody there 
it's not the kind of thing like you you hear the air conditioner vents kick on and stuff like that you're like oh that's a ghost but it's those kind of things can be explained this couldn't be explained no idea how what was happening there resident actor megan anderson my first experience i think was during Bo stratagem i'm one of us rich wife and share the fortunes down the middle hard getting married is easy enough it's staying married that's the tricky part i am chained and When I was standing backstage left, which is like a hot spot, and I was getting ready to go on for the final entrance, uh, for my final entrance, and I was standing backstage completely alone, and I felt a a finger brush across the back of my neck. I looked around, and I was definitely alone, and I thought, it's finally happened. The ghost wants to say hi to me. (laughs) What was your vibe? Was it scary? Was it... I was never scared. I felt like it was more like a kind of an exhilaration or a, an excitement, but I've, I've never been afraid. The vibes or the supernatural forces that are in every man have not been harmful. They feel somewhat like a bit interrupted. Corey Fryer Rich, our associate director of marketing and strategic communications. In sorts where they're cohabitating, but it's not like a bad force. Shamal Moore, our porter. Wasn't like malicious or evil or nothing like that. Director of production, Mandy Hall. And not scary. I don't find them scary. Former lead teaching artist, Brenna Horner. At Everyman, I never felt like it was malicious or like, I never really felt scared. I was just like, that's creepy. That's creepy. Actor Jason McIntosh. But none of it was scary. It was just like, well, it was just a person there. All right. It's funny. Everyone yeah. says the same thing. And I would say the same thing. It, it wasn't scary. It's just eerie or, or weird. And you're like, oh, that's kind of cool. But it, yeah, it just feels like it just feels uh, normal. Yeah. It just it's <laughs> just like a, a shared existence almost. Plus, I think as an artist, as an actor, especially you're open to things that other people aren't open to. So it, it inherently isn't scary. It's just, a you know, we pretend and, and create people from whole cloth, basically, you know, so we create maybe something the that's the manifestation of a ghost. You know what I mean? When actors create roles, they're creating a human being that never really existed. So no matter what part you play, let's say it's uh, Bono from Fences. Every single person that's played Bono from Fences has played it differently. So they've manifested something from the spirit of the play like they've created a person that never existed before and will never exist after because all actors are individuals and i think because we do that all the time we do that's part of our job that we might be more open to seeing things that other people don't yeah like manifestations from before us yeah and maybe they're comfortable with us because we're comfortable with them we're not here alone. There has to be some things. I mean, there's a big world out there, big universe, and there has to be so much we don't know. And I, but I do think, just like animals feel, I do think human beings feel too. I think we're less in touch with that aspect of ourselves because of logic, you know. And I think we might even reject those feelings when we when we feel them because we're trained to not be uncomfortable like that, and sometimes just don't know how to handle it. Like um, we have this sixth sense, this in- intuition that we're just yeah ignoring. 
I don't necessarily believe in ghosts, but I do definitely believe in spaces having a kind of spiritual energy. Acting company member Tony Knob. Feeling of like just walking into an empty theater and it feels like there's energy in that space. Being in a space that is intentionally created for human beings to gather together and to witness these stories and these experiences together and seeing that space empty, that is a kind of ghost. There's this potential energy there that's just, I, I feel like is, is just vibrating. It's almost like a sense of awe. You feel like you are still in that space with other people, other, other spirits, other consciousnesses. I can tell the building is lonely. It misses us. Like I was in there, I was in there last week and it just feels like it feels very empty. You know, one of my mentors or the sort of giants in the world of theater is Peter Brook, right? He used to say that theater, great theater, great theater spaces share a commonality of dirt. Everyman Theater's founding artistic director, Vincent Lanchisi. And I think I know what he meant by that, that, you know, the best theaters are made out of buildings that were something else in an earlier time. And that all of those, that layer of history and of people that have come through the building sort of become a rich mosaic for the reuse and rebirth of the building as a new theater. I mean, theaters call people to them all walks of life. And Vinnie couldn't have moved every man into a more historic part of Baltimore than the Bromo Arts and Entertainment District, a couple blocks away from the Inner Harbor. With Lexington Market dating back to the 18th century and the restored historic Hippodrome Theater across the street. Plus Edgar Allan Poe's buried down the street. It just feels like there's a lot of energy in the neighborhood anyway. I do think like we kind of like make a bowl, right? Between the Lexington Market and between all the theaters that are there, there is just like a energetic kind of bowl that just catches all that stuff up. So we probably have ghosts from a few blocks away. You know, the old Ford's Theater was across the street from, is where I park, and that parking lot used to be the Ford's Theater. Former head of Baltimore School for the Arts, Donald Hicken. Ford's Theater was closed in Washington after the Lincoln assassination. And so Mr. Ford came to Baltimore and built another theater because he couldn't operate his theater in Washington. So he moved to, to Baltimore and built Ford's Theater Baltimore. It never went dark from 1867 to 1963, I think, something like that. And it was a big tryout house. Baltimore was a huge tryout town. Who knew that? You know, you, you try out your Broadway uh, show first in Baltimore and see how it goes. Lillian Hellman insisted that all of her plays premiere in Baltimore because she said the audiences are so discerning and so tough that if we could survive Baltimore, we could survive anywhere. If I can make it there, I'll make it anywhere. We all know that the arts are timeless. Great art is timeless. And it's all we know, really, of cultures, ancient and, and not so ancient. What's the past? How does this connect to us? Because we feel like the past matters and we feel like beauty and architecture and handmade crafts. And, and when you see those archways made with brick in a Baltimore building, and someone did that by hand, you know, there's something beautiful. There's something human about that. 
This is Dr. Nicole King, Associate Professor and Chair of the Department of American Studies at UMBC. She co-founded the Public Humanities Project Baltimore Traces, Communities in Transition, where students research historic neighborhoods and complete oral history interviews of those who live and work in Baltimore. During the past semester, as part of our UMBC American Studies class, students have worked on the Bromo Speaks Project to produce a radio series that highlights the voices of the residents, artists, workers, and business owners in the Bromo Arts District in the west side of downtown. When the arcade at the Lexington Market was torn down, I really was sad about that. And I'm like, why does the arcade matter when they were tearing it down? And it's not the building, but it's because the people who've been in the building and they loved it in the building and they've eaten food and they've, you know, bad things have happened and police have chased them, you know, all these things have happened in this building. Um, and it's probably like when you're in your building and, and it's silent and it's almost like it's old buildings are never silent. That's what I like about them, you know? They hold something there. I rehearse at Every Man Alone a lot, and sometimes you feel things, or you hear things. I mean, the building is big, and that space can be cavernous in the rehearsal room, but who are you going to tell that to until Danny Gavigan calls you and asks you? <laughs> and I think those things live on in a certain sense, those memories and those traces of meaning. And I think as a as a cultural historian, that's what I'm chasing. I'm chasing ghosts to a certain extent. I'm trying to understand and listen to people from the past in concert with listening to people now um, and what they feel about these buildings and how they feel about these changes. Our section of the city, you know, originally Piscataway Indians, the natives had it. Everyman Theater in the Bromo Arts District is on Piscataway land. The Piscataway Kanoi tribes were primarily north of the Potomac, stretching from Baltimore to Washington, D.C., in what is now St. Mary's, Charles, and Prince George's County. It wasn't until January of 2012 that the state of Maryland recognized the Piscataway tribes. As of today, the Piscataway tribes have yet to be recognized federally. I'm reading, uh, of all things, the Laura Ingalls Wilder, Little House in the Prairie biography. Huh. And the uh, author goes way back to whites settling on Indian land and wiping them out. Mm-hmm and sort of clearing the way for pioneers. But just, you know, our God-given right to go in and wipe out a, a race so that we can set up shop. And, I mean, you know, just thinking about that, how many ghost stories are about being on top of a Native American uh, burial ground or, you know, yeah. about the American genocide coming back to, for reckoning? I was on tour in... Kansas, right outside of um, Kansas City. I was in Lawrence, I believe, Kansas. But it's a huge American Indian reservation. Everyman Associate Artistic Director Paige Hernandez. And there is a part of that reservation that you have to drive through just to get from place to place. And I remember driving through it and I remember feeling presence and feeling like, you know, I wasn't alone. And Fast forward, my grandfather came to visit me that night. Paige's grandfather had already passed away. And I told this to someone, and they were like, well, you know what you drove through, they consider to be a passageway for death. Um, And there's a lot of like rituals and ceremonies that happen in that specific place, usually when someone is in transition or debating reincarnation. 
and the fact that I kind of passed through it and that opened a door. So this is where I'm like, yeah, things aren't just coincidence. Like, I think I purposely passed through something that was really spiritual and highly charged. And then that allowed for a visit. And indirectly, this relates to every man's current space. <laughs> I know that older buildings in general usually come with some kind of history, which usually involves some really captivating story of someone dying in there. Um, it's just like every building. It feels like it's every place old. <laughs> My kind of indirect connection to it as a woman of color is Lexington Market, which is a stone's throw across the street. And everyone knows growing up in Baltimore in the Black community, Lexington Market's connection to the slave trade. And in the 1800s, that's where major slave auctions happened. Lots of people died and um, all kinds of, you know, tragic, basically transactions. Lexington Market is supposedly the oldest continuously running public market in the United States. So it has all of those kind of layers uh, of history. And it certainly is a place where a lot of inequity has happened. I think that part of the problem that Maryland has is that it was a, a very uh, convenient port of call because it was in the middle of the Atlantic. It was in the middle of the colonies. You know, you could disembark all kinds of commodities, including slaves into Maryland and they can go north, they can go south, they can go west. I mean, it was a, and, and you had the Chesapeake Bay, which was a relatively navigable waterway. Um, so it was a good port. But ironically, Baltimore had the largest free black population of any city in America in the 1800s, especially in the 1830s and 40s before the Civil War. The procession of black men, women and children in chains was routinely seen along Pratt Street to Fells Point, where ships waited to carry them south to New Orleans for auction. Their family members following them along the route, knowing they would probably never see them again. It was estimated between 1790 and 1859 that more than a million slaves were sold south, most of them from Virginia and Maryland. I'd gone on this ghost tour in New Orleans. And one of the things they talked about is that because New Orleans was the largest slave market in the United States, that there's an impression like like a, 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 a time stamp of trauma that gets laid onto a physical space. And if you consider that New Orleans was the largest and that Baltimore was the second largest slave market, that that kind of trauma gets printed in Baltimore as well. Which leads me to believe that that entire area is like so soiled with like blood and stories mm. and, and trauma stories and trauma and refugee stories because it was such a transitional place for people coming into Baltimore. But I think Danny, I think it's fantastic. I hope it doesn't sound too jacked up for a theater to be on that kind of soil on that kind of ground to be able to embody different spirits and emotions and stories and feelings. So if, that, if there is ghosts and spirits in the theater, you know, they could be a part of some history or lineage that was nearby that we don't know about. What's interesting, they've always been black. I've never seen a white person. <laughs> which I find, which I find very interesting. I'm like, oh, my ghosts are racist or something. Oh, <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, I've seen, yeah, I've only seen uh, uh, African-American black folks. And what's interesting, um, at Everyman, I've only seen, I've seen two, but one was during Ruined and the other one was uh, was during, um, oh God, was during um, Fences. Hmm. And I saw them in the same spot. So you know where the, the opening is to the, the um, scene shop is that there's those two big black doors in the back and backstage. Yeah. Yeah. Like right I, upstage center. You mean? Yeah. Uh-huh. Where, where basically, you know, when you're backstage, it has all the writing on it. Like, uh, you know, Jason was here and all that, you know, people write little weird things on the, on the door or whatever. Sure. I've been passing that door like hurriedly on the way to like, you know, make my entrance or whatever. And I just see a person standing there. And I'm like, oh, cool, got it. Every man made a, a huge effort. Really started, you know, like 10 years ago, but to diversify. Um, and in doing so, I feel like when the look and feel of diversity is at a space whose heart is in that kind of place, I think it's going to start to trigger the community around it. How do we see one another connected, right? In a city like Baltimore, which has been highly segregated by race, by economic income, which you know Lawrence Brown has referred to as the black butterfly of disinvestment, of racial segregation, that are we all one city? Are we all one city? And in living as I do in the Midtown area, there's this kind of awe in the middle of all of this, still within the white elm. How are we connected? How do we get beyond those places? Just going into different neighborhoods. I mean, there's some people who won't even come into the neighborhood, you know, where you work and where I live yeah. um, in downtown Baltimore. One of the most insulting things, like when um, we came to Baltimore um, with uh, the show I was doing, was listening to the cast talk about how unsafe it was. Now, I stomp those streets all the time. And so I'm like, you'll be fine, relax. You know, if we should all leave together, or, you know, nobody should, you know, then saying that, you know, kind of made me defensive because I feel like I have a, a home there uh, and I recognize that it's a problem. But I'm like, you live in New York City. Yeah. Uh. Every, you know, morning I walk through the west side of downtown. Sometimes I'll cut through like the market if it's especially cold because it's always warm in there. And I like your, I have never had any problems. The supernatural forces that are in Everyman have not been harmful. They feel somewhat like a bit interrupted in sorts, where they're cohabitating, but it's not like a bad force. I was never scared. I felt like it was more like a kind of an exhilaration or a, an excitement, but I've, I've never been afraid. It wasn't like malicious or evil or nothing like that. And not scary. I don't find them scary. At every minute, I never felt like it was malicious or like, I never really felt scared. I was just like, that's creepy. That's creepy. But none of it was scary. It was just like, oh, it was just a person there. It's funny, everyone says the same thing, and I would say the same thing. It, it wasn't scary, it's just eerie or, or weird, and you're like, oh, that's kind of cool, but it, yeah, it just feels like, it just feels uh, normal. Yeah, it just, it's just like a, a shared existence almost. I'm not a theoretical physicist, but the theory is, is that all time is happening at the same time. That, that time is a construct in order to make us understand 
the world. So that if all time is happening at the same time, then that trauma is being lived presently while we're living our own present, you know? So, um, I mean, I can't get my head around it, but I do energetically like, oh, okay. That's a way to understand what all that ghosty stuff is and all that energetic stuff is. Can you believe that? Well, personally, to me, I think that it's a little, it's a little bit of both, right? That there is this, this impression that gets left in time, in all time that we're living. And also there is, I think sometimes there is an urge to connect. The energies don't just feel like this ghostly thing is happening. Sometimes it feels like they are calling to your energies as well. Dr. Nicole King speaking in 2018 at UMBC about her Baltimore Traces project. Students interviewed longtime business owners, artists, workers, residents, and developers. Then the Baltimore uprising happened, and listening to the city took on a new urgency. I spoke as part of a panel on the uprising at a PAC teach-in at UMBC. I told students the two most important things that I've learned as a professor engaged in public humanities work. Show up and listen. Martin Luther King Jr. said a riot is the language of the unheard. And I agree. And listening is the language of the humanities. In the words of Toni Morrison, these two godlings, language and image, feed and form experience and help us to pursue the human project, which is to remain human and to block the dehumanization of others. There are no strangers. There are only versions of ourselves. Everyman Theater's Resident Ghost Company is written, produced, edited, and hosted by me, Danny Gavigan, with music by Kai Angle, courtesy of freemusicarchive.org. Additional music by Josh Hurwitz. Your support makes every episode possible. Visit everymantheater.org to check out our incredible 30th anniversary season and to make a donation today. Or text GHOST, G-H-O-S-T, to 44321. Every donation, no matter the size, makes a difference. Mm-hmm.